This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 184 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David and today's special guest, Ben Moore, owner and publisher of Panther Talk, the Georgia State 247 sports site. But before we talk with Ben about the upcoming 2023 football season and maybe a smidge of basketball, Brady had the chance after a practice last week to chat with offensive coordinator Trent McKnight and GSU's new defensive coordinator Chad Staggs. We're going to roll that audio for you now. Catching up with the coordinators at fall camp, Georgia State offensive coordinator Trent McKnight here. Um, tell me about the progress of the offense through the fall. It's been really good. This has been a, a very enjoyable camp. I think we've got a great group to coach. We've got a great group of uh, coaches working together. So it's been nice for us as a staff. we got everybody together for year two, coaching the same spot. So that continuity has been really good. Um, I think for the, like the quarterback position, it's same as teaching for those guys. So you can tell they kind of self-correct a little bit more than what it has been in the past. And we got a great group that's come out here every single day and worked hard and they got good attitude and good effort and uh, it's been fun and you know last year led the sunbelt in rushing progress in the passing game so i guess what's the next step for 2023 i think that's the goal as a coach you're always trying to enhance you know and our goal at the end of the day is to score more points than them whatever that takes running the football throwing the football you always take a hard look and take a really hard study into what you can do better and find ways to enhance it whether that's meetings whether that's how we practice whether that's a drill whether that's some type of play maybe we coach it a little bit differently to make it a little bit better and i think that's where i really feel good about where we're at because of what i was saying with the coaches and we've got a lot of players back they can coach some of these with the world today you got a few transfers in you got some newcomers and uh, so they've done a really good job coaching some of those guys up so i think that's what the goal is of try to find a way to get better in the run game try to find ways to get better in the throw game too and specifically with your position group quarterbacks you got mr stability and darren back for year three so partly what does that help with you as the offensive coordinator have that experience back but also what about the rest of the room with young guys and couple of freshmen who have now gone through spring and fall camp did that help them getting there early I think it's helped them a lot and that's one of the things about the position is you can only rep so many guys you know it's a little bit different than some other positions so it's hard you're a lot of times getting two guys rep sometimes getting three guys rep but I feel really good about the youth in the room and then speaking on DG just when I think back on it how we're teaching our stuff right now he's been through just with me five different installations of it then the other part is that we went through an entire season and we got really got to know him and understand certain things because there's certain things you learn throughout the season of what he does best right what we can go execute and really building that offense around him I think has been our biggest strength and then him and I's relationship over this time where we've been in a lot of meetings together a lot of one-on-ones of knowing how he sees things and how we can get them going I think is really beneficial and then McKaylee's had a really good camp. He's progressed. And I think it's the same thing. There's a lot of same as teaching for him, a lot of the same plays that he's been repping over and over because we try to keep it as simple as possible. And so he's been able to learn those and get a lot of repetitions into it. So I think coming off this past week, he probably had his best week of camp. And then uh, Jamari Thrash, 1,000-yard receiver, obviously a big loss. How has the wide receiver battle been through camp? It's been really good. I think a lot of people probably thought the same thing a year ago, right? You lose Sam Pinckney, you lose uh, 
Cornelius McCoy and people are wondering who's going to be next, even though Thrash had a good year the year before. But I feel really good about our receiver room. I think we honestly probably have more depth than what we had last year. I think Jakari Carter coming in here has done a good job. Peter's done a really good job coming in. He's still learning, getting better every day. Rico Arnold's done a good job. And then the first three, same thing. They've been in our offense for a long time, so they're playing at a high level, and you can tell how comfortable they are right now. Thank you. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, now I'm joined by defensive coordinator Chad Staggs. Uh, before we get into fall camp, obviously a unique situation came on after spring practice. So I guess how do you kind of stem that tide as you're looking to get your scheme going into fall camp? Is it looking at old tape and seeing guys' traits? Or are you telling guys, hey, this is what I want you to do? Like, how does that process play out in the summer? Uh, I really didn't watch a lot of the old tape. Obviously, I knew a lot about them because of being in the conference. Um, but I really didn't want to kind of have a, uh, a perception of who they were. I wanted to see who they were when I got here. So we did a lot of learning in our off season in terms of the time I could spend with them. And that was through after spring ball to through all summer. And so the first time I got to really see them in pads, uh, trying to execute what I'm trying to get them to execute was, uh, what, 12, 13, 14 days ago. Um, so it's been a lot in a short amount of time, but they have really working hard. So I'm excited about what they're doing. Sometimes we're, there's some up and down days. We're a little inconsistent right now. Uh, like today, we were very undisciplined and, and that hurt us. Uh, but day before and day before that and last scrimmage, we were really good. So we just got to get consistent and uh, continue to grow uh, discipline-wise. And I guess just philosophically, as you look at a defense, what you're looking for, there are a couple of trademark things that, uh, like, if this defense is doing this and this, then you feel pretty good about the overall performance. Effort to the football, swarming the football is number one, and number two is playing physical and and having an attitude at the ball carry when we get there. So, uh, no matter what scheme you have, if you're playing with great effort and you're playing very physical, you give yourself a chance to win. Uh, you got to get off blocks and get to the ball carry and so forth. So it's the physicality at point of contact and the effort to the football. That's the trait that when people turn on the tape, I hope they see. And you mentioned a little earlier that you came from another Sunbelt school. So I guess with all that's different, how much of a benefit is that you're not learning a whole new set of conference teams that's on the schedule? It's great, other than the fact that I know the conference is well enough to know that it's probably the hardest G5 conference and probably hardest side of a G5 conference in the country. So I know the challenges come with it. Uh, there's no easy game in this side of the conference. Every game is a game that you better be up for. So it's a very difficult schedule. Uh, but I do know a lot about the teams and the coordinators and so forth that are still here. Good. Thank, right. you. Thank you. So honestly, it was nice to get the thoughts of the two coordinators. I, I like talking to the coordinators because you get a little bit more into the nitty gritty, even with a little abridged interview. And so kind of got Coach McKnight's thoughts on all the different position groups, basically got some thoughts on Coach Staggs kind of transitioning. And it was interesting that he talked about how he wasn't really interested in watching that much film of the old defense. He was more interested in kind of looking forward that he, I don't know, it was a case of just not trying to look at the past too much or if it's about, I don't know what. But uh, I guess the other thought that I have, which is stupid, uh, totally unrelated to the football side, is I enjoy that with two more coordinators, we're kind of adding to the, catalog of different southern accents that the coordinators georgia state have had under sean elliott because both brad glenn and nate fuquay also kind of had some draws from different areas of the south and we've added a, a couple of new versions of that now with trent mcknight and chad stacks honestly at this rate we're just gonna have to keep tracking where all the coordinators are from and making sure that coach elliott has brought in a coordinator from each state 
just in the South. So the accent is, you know, as varied as we're, possible. We're pretty close to that because I believe Trent McKnight, I mean, he coached in Alabama. I don't know where he's from, but I, I think that's where he had spent a fair amount of time coaching before he came to Georgia State. So might be from there. I have not done the research on this. I'm fairly positive Fuquay's from South Carolina, and so is Stags, but they don't really have the same dialect, same accent. So I think probably different parts of the state, because that's the thing about regionality in America is there are just so many different accents and dialects to roll off of. And uh, Brad Glenn also from South Carolina. So a few different flavors of the Palmetto State, which maybe is fitting given the the running joke about this uh, program under Sean Elliott. No, it definitely makes sense. Um, back to the interviews. Uh, the film point is actually very interesting because I've I've heard of coaches that are kind of like that where they don't really care about what was here before. And they kind of, you know, they like to put their mark on, say, a defense or an offense. Uh, and so they don't actually watch film, even if there's not that much turnover with the personnel. So that was definitely an interesting point. Um, and it's I'm curious to see how Georgia State comes out of the gate, you know, defensively to see if, you know, guys are going to surprise in their defensive assignments, if guys are, you know, playing in different ways than I would expect. But, you know, that that, that was a, a good nugget that you brought up. Thanks again to the coordinators. And uh, now we can welcome along Ben for our kind of our whole podcast discussion today, digging into kind of the end of fall camp. Me and Ben were at the open practice last week and looking forward to the season starting and maybe a little bit in basketball obviously the classes started for them as well as semesters on for basketball and so that season also around the corner ben thanks for joining us uh, i feel like we do something like this the week before every season just to get someone else around the program's perspective on the season in the last couple of years it's been Probably a different perspective for everyone than what it is this year where there's just a lot of mystery, but some of the mystery got a little unpacked because for whatever it was worth, we were both there at the open practice event last week and saw a little bit. So I guess from that and just from this offseason, everything, where do you sit from you know what you've seen? Yeah, I think I think mystery is a great word for it. There's a, there's a lot of questions, right? There's There's certainly questions on offense. There's certainly questions on defense as we were talking about. Uh, last Friday night. Um, I think there's a, a whole lot of things that need to be unpacked. Um, I think there's also uh, some unknown from the opposing coaches as well, right? Like what is the Chad Staggs defense going to look like? Um, most coaches don't really change their stripes when they go from school to school. They're going to run the same basic schemes and calls and things that way. But um, I did find it interesting and shout out to the voice, Dave Cohen, for catching up with both coordinators. Uh, folks should definitely uh, listen to uh, that podcast and, and catch up. But Co- Coach Staggs talked specifically about watching film and watching the former um, you know, defense coordinator, Nathan Fuquay, and figuring out what we're going to do and how we're going to be different. Um, and we saw a little bit of that. We saw certainly some guys placed on the field. Um, you know, you're going to see multiple formations. You're going to see a lot different blitz packages. Uh, it's going to look a little bit more like Jesse Minner's old defense for the folks who have been around since that. They're going to blitz from all three levels. Coach Stagg said as much. Um, and we kind of saw that a little bit uh, Friday night. Uh, it was more vanilla, if you will. They were going to thud. They weren't tackling anybody to the ground, um, which is good, especially after last year losing um, – 
you know, losing a backup wide receiver for the season and Jacob Freeman on a knee injury, basically right there at the 40 yard line. Um, but no, I mean, I was, I was uh, encouraged to see, I mean, I think visually um, the size of some of the guys is overwhelming. Uh, you know, there's, there's guys that look like power five football players. They, they look, uh, you know, they're, they're much stronger up top and then the bottom. Uh, one guy certainly that's been highlighted all off season is Marcus Carroll. He, it looks like a tree trunk. Um, you, you have guys like John Trey Hunter who just look again, look like a power five linebacker. Um, and, and, I'm sure can move like a power five linebacker as we've seen as he has big time speed and agility. So there's a lot of questions uh, on this roster. Um, we're getting inching ever so closely uh, to the, to the season now in the single digits uh, now, which is, which is such a blast. And, and uh, I'm excited to be talking about this, not logos and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so with the caveat that I was watching from like above, I guess they call them the low sections with like the little carved out, so it's not my usual vantage point for looking at these football games, usually at higher. So it wasn't a great venue for me to see it at. I'm not complaining, but the biggest takeaway for me from the open practice was just like, you could tell it was a different defense that we were going to have to adjust our eyes to. It wasn't just where I was standing. Like I was just getting a read on like where guys were lining up. And it was like, I see this guy's out there, you know, like Josiah Robinson, the coastal transfer who followed stags here, was on the field and I couldn't really glean. It looked like it was maybe he was going to be on like that hybrid outside linebacker safety role. Maybe he was lining up inside linebacker. But my, my biggest thing that I took away is just like the defense does look different. It's not all that wildly different. I think in the same interview that you mentioned that coach Staggs did with voice said like 30, 40% of what he and Fuquay do is the same starting with like the base kind of look, but it is going to be a different looking just from how they're lining up defense. And that was something that when we finally were able to put eyes on the team practicing, that that stood out. It's going to be a couple of weeks of games where we're kind of like getting the vibe. And from the defensive side, hasn't really been a thing since, you know, the first year that this staff was here because it's been Nate Fuquay's DC the entire time. And even when the offense changed coordinators, the offense didn't really change since Brad Glenn got here. So kind of the first new look for either side of the ball in a, in a hot minute. Yeah, it really is. And, and, and I think, you know, you, you nailed it really kind of in your, in your price observations as well is I think you're going to see a lot more um, substitutions. We've you know kind of seen as well with the new uh, time rules that were passed in college football, the game is going to move faster so you can move faster with it. Um, I think you did see some tempo there and, and you saw um, Trent McKnight really, kind of accelerate the offense guys that were getting on and off the field on both sides of the ball, but the offense was running at, out of a tempo. And, and I think that's, what's going to be another interesting point for me is you have a third year quarterback for the first time ever in program history. Um, you know, this is obviously the second full season and, and coach McKnight talked about it the other day is, you know, guys know the calls. They know what they're supposed to be running. They know where they're supposed to be on the field offensively specifically because it's not new it is going to be you know in, in place guys that have been here through spring so do we see that tempo flipped up another level we did see that at times you know last year and then of course previous years um you know under Brad Glenn you know there was some tempo there and it, it can wear teams out and and specifically with the clock moving as quick um you know had a chance to catch up with Corey Peoples um you know defensive backs coach at, at the uh, football luncheon and, and he mentioned it it's a benefit for the Georgia State defense because you have a new look, you have new personnel, 
and basically you have rules that basically are speeding up the offense a little bit. So the potential for mistakes are there. Um, you know, hey, go, rolling out to the wrong side or, or looking at, at a read or, or not getting off the ball. Um, so I think the adjustments are going to be very, very interesting. Um, but from what I hear so far, specifically, um, the defense is very, very complicated in terms of there's a lot of different calls in all three levels. That wasn't necessarily the case in, in Fuqua's, um, you know, defense. I'm not saying one way is right, one way is wrong. It will certainly bear out. But, um, you know, Coach Stagg certainly has a, an impressive resume coming in here with the last two out of the last three years, I think was one of the top defenses in the Sun Belt. Yeah, and kind of the last thing that I was able to take from the open practice, which sorry to disappoint any listeners who were not there that didn't show much, really didn't get that much to take away. More than half the time, I would wager, was positional drills and stuff. So by design, didn't really show much. But when they were going through ones-on-ones, what we saw was the offensive line was Travis Glover at left tackle, Central Michigan transfer Titan Ferris at left guard, which was a surprise to me. I kind of thought he would be slotting in at right guard, so that was at least news. Um, Avery Reese at center, which was not surprising. He was second on the depth chart behind Malik Sumter last year, so he's kind of moved up. The the other transfer on the line, uh, Trevor Timmons at right guard, who came from Charlotte. So it'll be kind of funny if Charlotte and Georgia State trade starting offensive linemen because that's where Jonathan Bass ended up. And then it was Montavious Cunningham at right tackle. And, you know, we don't know if it was even like someone was held out. We're going to have to wait and see depth chart and the actual game happen to know for sure on these starters. But it did stand out to me that maybe a different position we were expecting from Ferris and that Timmons had made an impression like that. There's something my, when I first spoke to coach Elliott uh, this fall camp, he had mentioned in the first week, they had done some shuffling on the offensive line and, they had liked what they had done and it kind of had changed what their previous idea of the starting five was. And given that he's kind of the newest name, I'm wondering if he's the guy that kind of slotted in there. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think we also saw that last year with Luis Cristobal too, right? When he got you know, thrown in there basically on the interior offensive line, there was a little bit different level of toughness um, specifically with that offensive line. And, and ultimately, you know, we, we have seen, you're going to need more than five. You know, there, there's going to be injury luck involved in this case. And, and certainly in 2022, the offensive line did not have injury luck. Um, the good news is you've got guys in the system who are experienced like Ferris, who you mentioned, uh, Timmons, who at least has been at this level several years and is looking to play. Um, he is actually a uh, fun note with the uh, Falcons and Steelers uh, matching up right now at uh, Mercedes Benz. Um, he is the uh, cousin, first cousin of uh, former Steeler Lawrence Timmons. So he dropped that nugget on me through the recruiting process. So um, definitely some good bloodlines there as well. But got even you know Coach Elliott talking about Jonathan Brown, you know, guy that can kind of do multiple different things, uh, play inside or outside. Uh, in- interested to see you know if he can potentially see the field, um, you know, if there is you know e- either ineffective play or you know that's I think there's there's a lot of uh, you know, opportunity to play and and we saw last year Montavious Cunningham got to start as a freshman in Williams Bryce against South Carolina too so um, you know you've got some guys that have got you know a little bit of the little bit of the experience there and and you know you're facing a Rhode Island team here in a week um, that is not South Carolina that is not North Carolina you're not going to have you know four and five stars uh, lining up on the other other side of the ball with all due respect to the uh, mighty Rams. Yeah, I guess moving past the practice now, I think we've covered all that there is to mention. At this point, it's not that long until you're going to see actual games, so I don't know that it's much of a, you know, 
oh, well, I didn't see that much from this open practice. Uh, football's about to start. I mean, literally this weekend, we're having week zero, which I'm excited to dive in on all the sickoness of this slate this Saturday. Uh, but I guess moving towards the season, talking about the fall, I guess opening it up to everyone here now, just kind of where are you as we're a week away from Georgia State playing again in 2023? I'll go first. Um I mean, it's I, I feel very weird because I think I have now officially talked myself into this is a bowl team, you know, and I think I think part of it is just some of the things that y'all have said coming out of the camp and coming out of the practice. Um, and, and I think fair or not, the bones of a good team were there last year. You know, as Ben said, like they 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 really did not have good injury luck. You know, some of the matchups weren't favorable in that respect. You know, we always talk when the schedule releases, you know, about how the schedule is tough. Um, I still remember, you know, Brady's offline said something to the effect of that coastal game is going to suck. Um, and it did. It absolutely did. Um, and, you know, and I think despite the national success, you could say that Georgia state shouldn't be as far away from coastal as you know, that game looks like it was um, the Eastern division to some is better. I mean, it's tougher because of the last couple of years of realignment, but you know, I think the schedule is a little bit more favorable in Georgia state's favor in the, you know, when it comes to out of conference. And I think, this is definitely a team that, you know, the old adage in basketball is when you're struggling, you really just have to see it go through the hoop once. And, you know, that's when you get your confidence back. And, you know, historically we've seen when this program just kind of gets a string of couple wins together that, you know, they can go on runs and, you know, play competitive ball. And I think, yeah, you know what, last year we had some expectations of, yeah, this is a team that will compete for the Sun Belt. And, you know, maybe maybe that's not where the expectation is this year, but I really do think I have talked myself into this is a team that can and should win at least six games. I, lo- I, love, I love the confidence, David. You were, you were uh, talking through it. Uh, I think that's the minimum expectation, though, right? It's, you know, we, we're kind of at this point, and, and I've said it multiple times, I think it's a, it's a critical year for Coach Elliott. I think it's a important year for the program because of the the additions. Um, the Sun Belt East is a bloodbath just every single freaking week. Um, you know, you have such strong, um, I think, such strong coaching. The recruiting is continuing to get better. Um, you have programs that spend money and develop their players, um, and we've seen certainly in the portal era. In, in the last, you know, kind of two or three cycles, um, you can get immediately better at a lot of different positions very quickly. Um, and, and I'm, I'm interested, you know, we, we won't see them this year, but there's several programs in the West that I'm very intrigued by that I want to see basically how they look and, and how they grow, um, you know, basically in, you know, in this, in th- this season and you know, depending how the, the schedule falls, um, you know, Troy, was obviously ahead above everybody in the West last year, they've got question marks. You know, there's a lot of folks who are kind of penciling them in, Um, you know, Coastal, we know is well-equipped offensively. Um, And we know their offensive coordinator and probably going to know their offensive style, considering he coached here at Georgia State under Sean Elliott. Um, I I think that's, um, you know, there's a lot of question marks up and down the East, but, you know, to your point, when I've said it, you know, you guys have seen it in our, in our group chats. I mean, it's, it's September, man. September is, it's not daunting. 
Um, it's it's you know certainly more manageable than it has been, and um, you you got to produce some wins and start getting folks excited both inside the football offices and outside as well. Yeah, I got a piece out this week, which I'm plugging right here on PT, called Realistic Expectation for Georgia State in 2023. And my last one was that it is realistic to expect a bowl because that's what the standard has been laid. But the thing is, is if they don't go out this year and get to a bowl, if they 4-8 again or worse, whatever, someone writing that piece in August 2024, whether it's me or whoever else, can't have the same. Like, it isn't – at that point, the expectations have shifted to, like, I want to get back to a bowl because it was nice when that was happening. But like in year seven of a coach being at a place back-to-back losing seasons is usually kind of like the final nail in the coffin as far as like, all right, this is not working out. So like you say, I think it's a pretty important year. I don't know the way that that conversation goes, but I definitely think, especially if it doesn't start out well, because you've got winnable games right off the start, conversations are going to start at least start happening. I don't know if they'll end up in a coaching change come the end of the year, but certainly everyone involved in the football program will have their lives made easier if they're able to carve out a winning season this year. I guess. Yeah. Um, good. No, there's no doubt. And I think, you know, ultimately from even a, a zoom out macro, bigger level, we're talking about the importance of coach Elliott and I think his even future prospects, right. He's, he's mentioned it before. And I think we did the math on it. I think this is last year was only his third losing season in 20 plus years being associated with basically a football coach or, or player. And he's always made changes. You know, he's always made, you know, changes there when he had the first losing season here uh, in year, you know, year two, uh, which was a surprise to him and, and, you know, made several, you know, you know, changes and wasn't really anticipating making too many changes to this other than his strength and conditioning coach. Um, and, and I think you, you know, nailed it Brady before it's going to be Mike Siriano and Chad Staggs. Th- those are going to be the two guys, the changes that he made. Was that the payoff? Can we tangibly see that to say, all right, you didn't have the fourth quarter meltdowns because guys were in better shape because, you know, more guys were able to contribute. Um, also a big part of strength and conditioning is, you know, injuries and soft tissue injuries and different things like that and not having the guys miss a game here or, you know, miss a quarter because they're banged up. And you know, that's that's a part of, you know, Mike Siriano's deal as well. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. And, uh, you know, again, good, good news is we're going to find out real quick. All right, veering into dangerous territory because I think we were all probably pretty wrong in what we thought we were going to do last year, what we were going to see last year. But Let's roll off some of the vault predictions. Just get them logged in ahead of time. I'll roll through a couple of these I've jotted down. We'll start with what I think probably is going to be a unanimous pick uh, based especially on, you know, what Ben was saying earlier, what guys that have improved physically. Uh, team's leading rusher. And for this, I will be the first one to lay down and say, I think it will be Marcus Carroll. I think that for the first time since Trey Barnett, we're going to see kind of a real feature back. And he's going to be possibly, if he stays healthy, you know, approaching a thousand yards with how many times he's going to touch the ball. Maybe not touching Trey's program record in the season back in 2019, but it really feels like this staff really likes Marcus Carroll and that he's got the reins now running back. And there's other guys that are going to help and give him some, you know, rest at times, but it feels like it's going to be the 23 show on the ground. I respect you. 
um obviously we've been doing this podcast for however long so obviously i respect you i've been friends with you for i mean yeah longer. i was gonna say you've known me longer <laughs> I, I hope they're respected and started the podcast i hope the respect started you hope <laughs> um I I agree that it'll be Carol, but the reason I say that is because I don't think it's going to be a feature back situation. Like nothing, nothing about how this team has ever operated strikes me as this is going to be any like like I would be shocked if Marcus Carroll has more than ten percent more touches than KZ and and others. You know he's he's going to lead in touches. He is going to be the leading rusher, but I really think especially with just kind of where the, if you will, backups are, they're probably just going to get a lot of, you know, depth with Foster and Brock and, you know, the other guys that aren't Carol and Adams. Um, there's there's just going to be a lot of touches to go around. So, yeah, Carol's going to be the leader. But I'm just, here are the numbers for you. This is what I, the exact example I put out for you with Trey. He had 248 carries in 2019. The next close is running back because Dan Ellington had the second most carries with 160, was Destin Coates with 82. There was a big gap. So the idea that there's never been a feature back, you know, maybe the philosophy's changed. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're going to spread the carries around a little bit more. I don't know. But there's definitely precedent here, and that's what I'm rolling with. I'm glad so, we oh, kind of got not full consensus in what probably is going to be a consensus pick. So, so, so we're just, we're just. This is coming from the running back. This is not Darren Granger. You're, well, you're it could be Darren. Darren Granger because he led, he led the team. He did. In rushing yards last year he over did. Tucker Greg and Jemias, and I, and I tend to lean that way as well. I think Carroll's going to have plenty of touches and probably will be the leading rusher, but Darren's going to be right there. And I, I mean, with the added weight that he has put on, if he stays healthy for twelve games he's going to run for a ton of yards just because of the way this offense is built. Now, does he need 20 carries a game? Absolutely not. That's completely unnecessary, and, and I would be really questioning Trent McKnight at that point. Um, Sean Elliott trying to get folks fired up at the football luncheon said that instead of running out of bounds, that he'd be able to put his uh, shoulder down and ram into the opponent. Um, I highly discourage that kind of behavior because um, we need Darren Granger to make it to the final stages of the season. Um, and he's a very valuable, valuable member of this. But I, I'm also interested to see the tweaks. And we talked about it a little bit, um, you know, in various different features and things like that we've talked about. Um, this is Trent McKnight's first full offseason in this offense. We know the tweaks are coming. We know, um, and, and one of the interesting comments from the podcast with The Voice, you know, earlier this week, the staff went around the SEC, they and the ACC, they went to Clemson, they went to Florida, they went to Georgia to go to try to find little things of, hey, I like that. And coaches do that all the time. Coaches watch other teams film and say, what did they do right there? I'm going to line that up. Um, whether they're watching opponents film or whether they're watching the opponents of their opponents film, you know, trying to find tweaks and, and pieces there, how to maximize better. Um, Darren's one of the most athletic guys in the Sun Belt. He just is. Um, he's not a super blazing fast guy. He's kind of a long strider. So he can have games where he's going to go north of 100 yards on less than 10 carries. We've seen it happen already. Um, I'm hoping for a little bit less than that because you have experienced backs like Brock and Carroll. Um, I, I think even KZ is going to want touches and, and going to demand touches. So I think it's going to be spread out. But uh, if you can get the production to really – amp this rushing game and if they're a top 15 rushing attack again um, I, I can see Carroll right there number one and, and Granger right behind him 
moving along to receiving and this one again might be consensus is anyone else not taking robert lewis i feel like it, it's gonna be newly minted number one receiver uh is the number one receiver um a lot to like from what he's done when he stayed healthy. And last year he got bit with the injury bug a little bit and ended up being Jamari Thrash's show. But I feel like in 2023, not necessarily like what I'm talking about with the big feature. Like I do think other guys are going to get theirs for sure. Um, But I guess moving past that, I think we all agreed getting through that uh, leading sack man on the defense, switching it up. I feel like the easy answer is Shamar. Um, I know that there are some mild tweaks to the defensive philosophy, um, but I, I still feel confident that that is a guy who, like down the stretch, was a little bit better at the pressures. Um, and I think, you know, just a, a better strengthening and a better offseason, like Ben said, like really is a guy who could pop. Um, so yeah, I'll definitely say Shamar McCollum is going to be the guy who gets the most sacks. It's not going to be from the, you know, from a, I know that the defensive line has been, you know, kind of leading the charge the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, I, I think McCollum is going to do it from his spot out there. I, I think the pressures are going to come from all over. I think that's the one thing that I'm interested to see. And, and is it possible to take down the sack record, which is not very old um, when we've seen the last, last couple of years for all of, Fuquay's um, defensive liabilities specifically and issues, they were able to generate pressure off of not too complicated calls. Um, you had a very strong interior off or interior defensive line, which allowed uh, the linebackers to run th- run free. I think Shamar's a good call. Um, I, I would definitely – I'm super interested to see Kevin Swint. If Shamar McCollum beats him to, to the starting point, uh, I believe the reps will be almost split between those two uh, just because – He's he's the kind of athlete that again arrived at Clemson and was able to you know rock with those guys for two years. Um, you know didn't see the field a ton, but again you have a nationally ranked uh, you know top ten or top fifteen defense for consecutive years, so it's really difficult to to pop in the rotation unless you're an elite level player. Um, those kind of players tend to pop at the Sun Belt level, um, and he has the size to do it. And I'm really intrigued too. You know, are you going to blitz John Trey Hunter up the middle? You know, he was he was effective, you know, to get around the ball, um, basically. So, you know, sliding him inside, um, certainly no there in, in run support. But uh, as we've seen the spread offense, if he's an interior uh, linebacker and you run some zone coverage and things like that, he may have a free shot right in the quarterback's face. Yeah, I'll, I'll switch it up. I'll go with someone who's got their hand on the dirt, so to speak. And I'll, I'll go with Javon Dennis, who has been a quiet contributor, Last year took a pretty big step up, and I think this year going to be kind of his unit up front. And, you know, I kind of thought when I looked at Stags as defense, just like at a cursory level, that it was like it was geared around the outside linebackers, kind of like in the same way that Fuqua's scheme was. But, you know, if you actually look at the numbers, you know, Teron Jackson, defensive end, led the team in sacks his first two years. Josiah Stewart, who's listed as defensive end, he moved around. I think he might be a linebacker now for Michigan, but. He was the leading sack guy in 2021. And so as much as they're going to be blitzing from everywhere, I think the, the beneficiary of that might still be the guys up front who, while there there's a guy who's, you know, guard and the tackle on the left side have to watch out for the guy who's coming from the third level. It might be the guy sne- who's right in front of them that sneaks through and gets that sack. So I'll roll with that. And uh, 
I guess moving into the team stuff now, I guess we can just lay it on the line here. Vegas put the line 5.5 wins. Who's over? Who's under? I'll go over. Why not? I just, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, such a great number because I, I can talk myself into, I think, six wins. I think I can also talk myself out of that. Um, so that's, you know, right down the middle, get, get back to another bowl game. Um, and, and something that I keep going back to, and Brady, you even said it, it, there wasn't a game last year that was a blowout despite the schedule, right? So you're looking Coastal at Coastal kind it, of, but uh, that yeah. was the only one. Yeah, I mean, but but I mean, from a well, in app the second point, but yeah. you were up, you were up two scores in that one, so it shouldn't yeah. have been a blowout. It, it shouldn't have been, but but I th- I think the the one thing that there is there isn't a monster on this schedule until November, right? Uh, LSU is a top five ranked team right now, so like can't even necessarily think about that right now, and and I don't hate that that game is when it is because a lot of things could go terribly wrong for them. They could be gone terribly right they could be 10 and 1 or or, or 11 and 0 when that game happened so uh or, or 10 and 9 and 1 and, or, or 10 and 10 and 0 but um i i think ultimately you can talk yourself into six wins on the schedule uh, i think that's what i'm going to do and and uh, that's the story i'm sticking with it i guess my problem with going under um is in order to get to seven losses on the schedule we got to be starting to talk about a coaching change. Like the schedule does not really warrant a seventh and eighth loss. That's not like a, okay, we're having the conversation. Um, And I know that that's not necessarily a great place to be in, you know, both when you're talking about Vegas odds and just as you are talking about the season, but part of why I have talked myself into that. This is a bowl team is, is because look, if you, if you cannot take care of business in the out of conference, you're probably not going to take care of business in the Sun Belt, and then there you go. There's that's how you can get to your seven and eight losses, anyways. Um, I like. I really think I don't know that you know Louisiana or Georgia Southern. Both of those games are on the road. I don't think that those teams are you know crazy better than Georgia State. They have you know questions. You know, there's the rivalry. There's the you know stupid never beat Louisiana. I, I don't care about any of that. You know, Charlotte, I don't think Charlotte is better than Georgia State. I don't think I think Coastal has a lot of questions. You know, they might have a better quarterback than Georgia State. Fine. But there's a ton of questions with Coastal that I don't think, you know, we're a month away or less than a month from that game. I don't think they will be answered by that game. If that game was a month later, maybe I'd feel a little better about it, you know, definitively. But I just I don't think the way that the schedule is allows there to be that seventh loss that would make me say under. So I will, I'll take the over on that five and a half. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of thinking both ways. Like I think that there's six, seven wins on the schedule. I also, unlike you, I believe for sure there's seven losses on the schedule, eight losses. Like it could get bad. It would start with non-conference going poorly. And like, I am sure that if you lose games that you shouldn't, with the live odds in Vegas, they probably drop no matter what. But I think if you lose like the Rhode Island game, the Charlotte game, the UConn game, like the odds will spike down in a way that doesn't normally happen because for you to get to that five and a half, you're going to have to bank those wins early. And I think they will. I mean, at this point last year was the first year in a while that Georgia state hasn't 
quote, beaten the teams they should. And so maybe last year wasn't, <clears throat> maybe last year wasn't a blip, but we'll find out if it was this year or not, because there's three right off the bat that are very winnable games that the teams that have gone to bowl games under Sean Elliott have taken care of those games last year. They didn't. And so right now, I don't have to look at it and say, oh, this is last year's team because they clearly have responded in the offseason. And we'll find out if that's spin or we'll find out if that's real very shortly. But if you give those three wins, which I think are all gettable, you're at 3-0, and you just need three from the final nine games. And you still have home games in that stretch. Tough games basically against everyone who's left on the home schedule, but teams that you've been in games with in the last year or last couple of years. So no one that you can look at is like they are not beating them except LSU. And so for that reason, not going to be easy, but I think if you're assuming they're going to win those games early that they should, and, and like David mentioned about positivity and like stacking wins together, and this will be the first Georgia State team since like, I don't know when to like have that type of September momentum. Because even in 2019, it was October where they started getting, getting rolling. That September, they lost Western Michigan bad and lost that game to Texas State they shouldn't have lost. So <clears throat> it'll be kind of a new phenomenon if they can get it. And at that point, that's you know how you have teams get to these great seasons because they feel good about themselves. And it's not been the case for Georgia State the last couple of years. So the schedule sets up for them to feel good about themselves early in the season. And at that point, tough, tough division, tough conference, but that's how it is. All bets are off. But I think you could talk yourself into a fair amount of toss-ups and Georgia State can at least win three of those. And that at least would be back to what the expectation is. And like all of us, I think at one point have said on this, like if you don't get to that, no matter how tough the schedule is, it's still a failure. And it's two years in a row, it'll be a failure. And that just is all the wrong signs this far into a head coach being at a place. All right, that's all we've got for this week's episode. We want to thank offensive coordinator Trent McKnight and defensive coordinator Chad Staggs for speaking with us earlier this week, and also thank Ben Moore for hopping on the podcast. The long, long offseason for football is just about done, and Brady and I will be in attendance next week for the home opener, so we'll look forward to seeing you there. Next podcast will release earlier next week, and we'll also feature our preview of the Panthers against the Rams of Rhode Island. That's it. Have a fantastic week, and go Panthers!